You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. I'm going to start off with, a, with, with a, a little story here. You guys like stories? Yeah, we love stories. Okay. An elderly husband and wife visit their doctor when they begin forgetting little things. Their doctor tells them that many people find it useful to write themselves little notes. When they get home, the wife says, Dear, will you please go to the kitchen and get me a dish of ice cream? And maybe write that down so you don't forget it. He said, Nonsense, said the husband. I can remember a dish of ice cream. Well, says the wife, I'd like, I'd like some strawberries and whipped cream on it. My memory's not, not at all bad, he said. And so, no problem. A dish of ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. I don't need to write that down. I I can do it. I've got this. So he goes in the kitchen. His wife hears pots and pans banging around. The husband finally emerges from the kitchen and presents his wife with a plate of bacon and eggs. She looks at the plate and asks, Hey, where's the toast I asked for? (laughs) That's bad. Yeah. But it happens. And sometimes we don't even have to be losing our memory for it to happen. It just happens. Oh, man. Well, um, man, what a great week. Thanksgiving. How many of you guys just enjoyed hanging out with family Thursday? Yeah, amen. Nothing better than eating food and watching football games. Even when your teams lose. Yeah, I've got to repent. I was taking shots at everybody's team two weeks ago, and now the Cowboys have lost two in a row. I'm in trouble. So, anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, hey, well, at least we've got another Atlanta, uh, Georgia team going to the SEC playoffs. Come on, go dogs! Yeah, and we're going to be playing Roll Tide, Alabama. We got a couple of Roll Tide people here on the front row. Yes, yes. Well. This is Georgia's year of redemption, so I'm believing that they go, and uh, we are going to get a, a big W with this one, I, I hope. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, again, I'm going back to football. It's kind of like the Cowboys. When everybody plays as the Cowboys, they hate the Cowboys so bad, it's like they're playing the Super Bowl. And even the worst team in the league brings their best on that day. And Alabama's the exact same way, and so it's kind of scary. Uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but it's okay. We're going to pray through it. Amen. Amen. All right. So, hey, today I want to talk a little bit about um, sustaining a culture of honor. Um, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Scott, that encouragement. You know, in a, in a healthy culture of honor, you'll always see the practice of two powerful people putting themselves before one another. And the key on that is two healthy people. Uh, when you don't have healthy people, that's not going to be which, the results that you get. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. We, we like to throw words around and throw, you know, oh, we, we're a culture of honor and we do this and we do that. And language does, language does not create culture. Beliefs create culture. And so we've got to understand that we can sit here and say, Uh, honor, 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 honor all day long. But if we don't believe that we're supposed to be honorable in honoring, we're going to have a difficult time making that happen when we're in exchange with other people. I want to show you a couple of these books, and I'm sure a lot of y'all have gotten them. There's a a new book out, but this book is by Danny Silk, and uh, it is The Culture of Honor. And this book is, man, it was a great book. I mean, I remember when I got introduced to this book, like, 12, 13 years ago, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, can you really do this? Does this stuff kind of happen? And, um, you know, even though uh, Danny wrote the book, he did not corner the market on the culture of honor. God did. <laughs> so just remember that. Anyway, that book is amazing. If you, How many have got this book? Anybody got this book? Okay, if you don't have this book, I encourage you strongly to go get it and read it. It is, it is amazing. There's a new book out that uh, Danny did with... Uh, I can't even say this name, Theory and Monique Huvet, 
with Danny Silk. Never heard of him up to this point, but man, I started reading this book and it is really good. And it's called Honor and Power. And it says the foundations for a culture of honor. And so, uh, you know, listen, people write books for a reason. They write them so that they're self-help, that they create tools for us to learn from and to put in our bag so that then when we need them, it's kind of like a bank account. If you don't put money in your bank account, you're not going to have money there to withdraw from. Amen. So get books, get anything you can get that helps you develop yourself and give you tools to put in your bag. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a must, you know, uh, Danny used to say, I heard him talk about this so many times. He said, you know, I have people come up to me, especially leaders and pastors and people that are running organizations and ministries and things. And he said, they'd come up to me and they'd say, Hey, will you come teach my people how to honor me? And I'm like, Danny's, Danny would be like, you know, he'd give you that Danny look. And, uh, you know, listen, it's not based on a title uh, or earned, it's developed. And so you've got to understand that what we're going after here is not something that just automatically happens. It's not just automatically our go-to. Now, I know there are a lot of people that have uh, a natural inclination where they're very positive or they're this or they're that. But let's just face it, being honoring to one another, it, it is work. And it, it, it takes, it's a process, and there's a development that, that takes place in that. And again, the culture of honor has its roots in the kingdom of God. And we see this because we know that the father, the father honors the son, the son honors the father, the Holy Spirit honors the son, and the son honors the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, the father honors us as his creation by giving us freedom and choices. Okay? He gives us freedom and choices. And in that process, I mean, there's a lot that can happen when he gives us that, when he gives us that freedom. And, uh, you know, these priorities uh, line up. Uh, they line up with, New Testament connect, with the New Testament connection between the health of our relationships and the power of our testimony to the world. It really does. The health of our relationships. You know, the church has been notorious for not having, being known for healthy relationships. They, it just hasn't. I mean, how many of you, including me, have been in environments where it hasn't been healthy? And it's been anything but healthy. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's not how Jesus wants it to be. You know, Jesus was not vague when he said... By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He was not vague. Is that vague? No. John 13, that's in John 13, 35. Listen, John didn't, I mean, Jesus didn't say, everybody will know you're my disciples because you heal the sick. Jesus didn't say, everybody will know you're my disciples because you do miracles. Jesus didn't say, everybody will know you're my disciples because you cast out demons. Or you do great and mighty works. He said, they will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Okay? I know in charismatic circles, that is not popular. Okay? Because it's always who can shout the loudest, who can deliver the most people, who can get, you know, who can get an amen here, and who can lay hands on people and see them fall out and all this other stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, that really doesn't make a lot of difference. What makes it, it, it it's helpful <laughs> and it is a part of the process, and it's a part of the, the characteristics and the nature of who we serve and who's inside of us. But the number one thing is love, that we love one another. Who wants to be a part of a club where people don't like each other? Who wants to be a part of a church that every time you turn around, somebody's arguing and fighting and backstabbing and, and not being honoring to that person? Come on. Is it everybody here this morning? So, you know, sadly, this value or this equal value for honoring relationships is so rare in the body of Christ. And what we have repeatedly experienced in most of our churches is just, is just lip service. And language is not backed up without intentionality. You've got to be intentional about what you're saying and what you're doing. And again, language does not create kingdom culture. Beliefs do. And I, I remember when we were, when Terry and I first came into the Bethel, 
Bethel movement. We came into the Bethel church and all that stuff. And we were learning about the culture of honor and how to be honoring to people. So people would just throw that word around. Oh, honor. I, I want to honor you. And, you know, you're honoring this and you're honoring that. And everybody were, they were just throwing the word around. They really, they thought, oh, it's cool to say this. And then everybody think I've got the culture. Or you would ha- hear somebody say, well, you know, I don't feel honor when you, when you do this. And it's like, no, what you just really were saying was uh, because you weren't getting your way and you couldn't control me, you're using the word honor to get what you want. And I'm telling you, that, that was a lot of the, the friction that we were trying to figure out how to do. I mean, Scott's been there with me. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. It gets, sometimes it would get so old, like, oh, my God. We got, we, and here's the deal. This is why a culture of honor is so difficult. Because you're always in a place where you're having to communicate with somebody. And, and the goal is connection. It's, it's not disconnection. And in connection, it takes a lot for you to understand what the other person really needs and what they're needing and what you're needing. And so it's so hard most of the time that people run from relationships. And that's why we're not any further along in the body of Christ than we are right now. Because people continue to run from communication. They continue to run from confrontation. They continue to run from having a real, a real talk with somebody. And it's even worse today with cancel culture and all the stuff that's going on. And it's setting us up for failure if we don't do something about it. Everybody's looking at me like deer in the headlights. Listen, when we pursue honor, you bring God's presence on the scene. And it will utterly destroy guilt and shame and self-doubt. Every single time. When you bring God's presence onto the scene, it delivers. It will absolutely destroy guilt and shame every single time. Why is that not happening? Because we're not bringing God, we're not inviting God's presence into most of our conversations. We're just, we're just pop, popping off. We're just, we're just regurgitating and mimicking what's, what we've heard or we've been soaking and marinating in offense or whatever it is. Or I got, I got offended or I got, I, got, I got turned off because you said this or you said that. And so when you come into a relationship, there's no grace there because God's presence is not there. So we've got to really work hard on that. We've got to understand that's not God's job. That's our job. That's our job. And it's from this place that honor that honor really thrives and grows because honor equals love. And it's not something he just participates in. It's who he is. God is love. God is honorable. And when he's involved with it, it's him who comes in. And when we're pursuing him and we're pursuing love, we can't help but have stuff happen. And, and honor begins to set the stage for extreme value. For extreme value of the other person. And um, again, it comes down to massive intentionality. You know, the challenge, uh, the challenge is understanding that the culture of honor is not always based on agreement. Think about that one. And you know, most of us don't believe that because we've heard bits and pieces of scripture taken out of context. Like, here's a good one, Amos 3.3. Sorry, I got ice in my mouth. It specifically says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, you can take that out of context because this is God talking to the children of Israel. And what he's saying is basically, you're not in an agreement with me that I'm God Almighty and that you're not depending on me for every one of your resources and the needs that you have in, my, in your life. And that's what he's talking about. It's in disagreement that we get to exercise self-control and love for the other person. Let me say that again. It's in disagreement that we get to exercise self-control and love for the other person. And I'm going to tell you something. God modeled this even in the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you two examples. We can look at Abraham in Genesis 18 when his nephew Lot him and Lot have a disagreement, and you know, he goes and picks, Abraham says, hey, go pick any land you want to pick. And where does, where does Lot pick? Sodom. 
He goes to Sodom, and we all know the story of Sodom. Bad place, okay? Lawless, sin every, running everywhere, just all kinds of stuff. God gets fed up, and he's, he's basically telling Abraham, hey, I'm fixing to wipe out Sodom. And uh, Abraham disagrees. Now, some of you are going to say, oh, but he was interceding. No, he disagreed. Disagreement means when you don't go along with what somebody is saying, you're disagreeing with them. <laughs> okay, does that make sense? We missed some of this. Abraham disagreed with God. And did he get punished for it? No. What did God do? God said, okay, talk to me, basically. And Abraham, Abraham said, if there's 50, will you spare? If there are 50 righteous, will you spare the city? And he just went on and on and on. And guess what? God accepted that dialogue. And he, he had a conversation with Abraham. Because Abraham came in a posture of honor and love. He honored God. We, we see another one in Moses, in Exodus, where Moses is on Mount Sinai and the people, children of Israel are just going crazy and, you know, they're, they're making a golden calf and God's just had enough. And he's like, man, since you've been up here, your people are making a false idol. And he goes, I'm tired of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great nation out of you and I'm going to kill them all. And Moses is like, no, you cannot do that. He, Moses didn't say, okay, I agree with you. Just do what you want to do. Moses began to petition, and he disagreed with God. And he said, what are the, fair, what are the um, Egyptians going to say about you? I mean, he's talking to God. Like, God didn't know this already. He said, what are the Egyptians going to say about you? That you took all your chosen people out of Egypt, and now you're going to just kill them all in the, in the desert? He goes, God, far be it from you. You can't do this. Moses disagreed with God. And guess what? God listened to him. So God models this, this, this kind of dialogue in understanding that unity doesn't always look like agreeing with everything and having to agree on everything. If that were the case, none of us would be married in here. Right? I mean, how many of you guys and women in here, come on, be honest, you agree with everything your husband or wives say? Come on, be honest. No, don't raise that hand. Put that down. Who was that back here that raised his hand? That's Steve. Steve, you better repent, man. I'm telling you. Come on. You know, none of the women raise their hand for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, we, 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 make, the, we make the mistake... That disagreement can, can look like and still be, and we make, I'm sorry, we make the mistake uh, what disagreement can look like and still be unified. Because in most circles, we've all been, it's been modeled if, that if we don't agree on everything, then we're bringing disunity. Right? I, come on, guys, talk to me. Listen, I'm not the only one here that's heard that. Like, oh, well, you disagree with me. Well, you're bringing disunity. No, that's not accurate. What that is, is fear and control. Fear and control. Okay? And that's not who, that's not who we serve. And uh, when we do that, when we, when we say you can't disagree with me, what we are doing is we're saying you can't have a difference of opinion uh, and you, or you can't disagree and still be in unity. Listen, real unity in the kingdom is diverse and a lot of times totally opposite. It's totally opposite. Look, look at James and John, the, the disciples. Jesus had disciples that were totally different. And they, were, and they all had different opinions and they, agreed, they didn't agree on everything. Remember when Jesus went into, I can't remember what city he was going into, but he was going in and he was trying to preach the gospel and nobody would accept him and receive him. And basically, uh, James and John, remember what they used to call James and John? Sons of thunder. They said, hey, Jesus... We got this. We're going to call down fire from heaven and burn this place up because you're being rejected. Hey, it was a, it, hey they really love him. I, I, I would appreciate that. But Jesus looked at them and he said, hey, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. You can't do that. Jesus didn't go off onto a whole other lecture saying, you have no part of me. You're not a part in unity. You're, you're causing disunity. He didn't say any of that. 
He, he just addressed the issue. He spoke to him, and he said, we're not going to do that. He had a real conversation. John 17, 21 through 23. If you brought your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. John 17, 21 through 23. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, um, this is Jesus talking. He says, I pray. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost my place. And if you're wondering why I'm sitting, I'm just going to do a little sidetrack here. If you're wondering why I'm sitting... We're babysitting my grandson, and he, this is the first time he has slept in the bed with my wife and I, and he sleeps horizontal. Like, he kicked me in the head about a thousand times. It's precious, and I loved it. It was like, it's the first experience I've had with my grandson. And he's hitting me in the head, pop, 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 pop. Can't get him to sleep. I went and got on the couch, and now my lower back is bothering me. So, anyway, just so y'all don't think I'm a total sissy, I'm, I'm up here, and I'm sitting, so... You guys okay with that? Okay, he says, John, John uh, 17, 21. I pray that they will all be one just, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Okay, here we go. He's going back and he said, may... May we be in them so that they know that the world sent us. What is he referring to again? He's talking about they will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have. Because the love that the Father and the Son have is evident. Okay? That they may know that you sent me. How are they going to know that you sent me? Because they, they love. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. And I've talked about when he said God gave them the... I have given them the glory. That glory also, I believe, represents the Holy Spirit. And he says, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May, may they experience such perfect unity, perfect unity, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What does perfect unity look like? Is it that we agree on everything? Is that what Jesus is saying here? He didn't say, if we all agree on everything, then we'll have perfect unity. That's not what he's saying. If we have love for one another, that creates perfect unity. That's why the church has been missing it for so long. Because they've created a model that's not scriptural. That's the way I see it. I mean, you throw rocks at me, I don't care. That's just the way I see it. Oh, oh, oh. Scott's throwing rocks at me. Listen. <laughs> when we try to make everyone look the same and call that unity, we have just dismissed and limited that person's purpose for which they were created. We're tying their hands. We're, we're, we're capping them off. We're putting a lid on them. You know, I watched and listened for 12 years in the Bethel Circle how key leaders, key leaders, I'm not talking small leaders. I'm talking key leaders, big leaders, small leaders. I'm a small leader, but, you know, I'm short. Key leaders fought, disagreed, and walk through that tension. And they, they, they created a movement around this whole piece of culture of honor. But they still fought. They still worked through it. And the tension, it was a process. It was a total process. It's never easy. It's messy. And it's never perfect. <laughs> it's never easy. It's messy. And it's never perfect. We've got to understand that that's the reality of dealing with one another and having healthy relationships. It's never easy. It's messy, and it's and it's never perfect. We've got to put we got to quit putting it so high up on a on a pedestal that we're never going to be a, we're never going to be able to obtain it if we think it's going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Relationships are never going to be perfect. 
They can be close to perfect. They can be great. They can be awesome. But they're never going to be perfect. Good Lord. We've seen a lot of stuff happen in that, in that circle, in that culture, in that, with that model. Did they ever give up attaining and aspire to walk in a place of, of honor? No, they did not. Even when they failed, what did they do? They just repented, they cleaned it up, and they moved on. That's the way I saw it. You know, the number one enemy to the culture of honor is not diverse personalities or strong personalities. Let me say that again. The number one enemy to the culture of honor is not a strong or diverse personality, which I love in so many churches. I don't love this. I think it's the worst thing ever. But in so many of our church circles, as soon as somebody is strong-willed and they don't agree on something, they immediately get tagged with the title Jezebel. You're a Jezebel. Even if you're a man, you're a Jezebel. That's the spirit of the Jezebel because you don't agree with me. That's what they're saying. And because I can't control you. Now, I'm going to tell you, there is a spirit of Jezebel. I'm not denying that. But what we call a spirit of Jezebel is not a spirit of Jezebel. It's just strong-willed people. (laughs) Man, I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, but I'm telling you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's the turkey. Now, what I'm not saying is that we allow people who are strong-willed to have bad attitudes and bad behavior and not be confronted with it. That's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're going to come into this environment, and if you're strong-willed and you got a bad attitude, you are going to be confronted. And we are going to have a conversation, whether you like it or not. Because only us, you and I, can police the environment we're trying to create. And when I say police, that sounds almost militant. I don't mean it like that. The Holy, really, it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that creates, creates an environment where... But here's the issue. People have to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. So when they're not willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, we can confront, but we confront with honor and we confront with love. With the main goal of connection. If, if your goal is, is to do anything other than get connection and clarity, then it's not from the Holy Spirit. So that takes about 80% of what you want to confront people about off the table. I know this sounds like a hard message. It's really not supposed to be a hard message. It's supposed to be a reminder of how you and I are responsible to create the kind of culture and the kind of environment we want to live in. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm going to tell you, the, the biggest enemy to the culture of honor is called, buckle up, the sin of familiarity. And you're going to go, how is sin, how is familiarity a sin? Well, let's think here for a minute. Anything that disconnects you from the presence of God and can kick you out from your divine oneness with him because of Jesus can become a sin. Would you guys agree with that? Anything that becomes an idol, anything that takes the place of God's presence in your life and your dependency on him, that's sin. Okay, that's what I see. Not everybody's, not everybody's agreeing with that, but that's okay. Let me, let me, let's, well, first let me give you the definition of familiarity. It means inappropriate informality and getting to know someone too well. Inappropriate informality and getting to know someone too well. So in Mark 6, 1 through 7, I'm going to read this to you. Mark 6, 1 through 7, and I went the wrong way. Okay, here we go. Mark 6, 1 through 7. You got your Bibles? You can turn there. Mark 6, 1 through 7. Where did I go? Here we go. Jesus left that part of the country 
In the NIV version at the top above chapter 6, a little definition, this one says Jesus, this is an ESV, but Jesus rejected at Nazareth. But in the NIV it says uh, a prophet without honor, (laughs) without honor, rejection, without honor. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here with us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own town. And among his relatives in his own family. And because of their unbelief, he, could do, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Here's the deal. Jesus comes in, and Jesus is not like, hey, I'm in a bad mood today, so guess what? No miracles for you. No healing for you. No deliverance for you. I'm out of here. I'm going to preach a couple, you know, a couple little small messages, and I'm out of here, man. I'm just not feeling it today. Mm -mm. That's not what happened. Jesus came in, and he's preaching, and it says they became offended of who he was. There was a sin committed amongst these people, and it was called the sin of familiarity. It literally cut them off from the supernatural power of Almighty God. And, and you know, this familiar, familiarity can cut us off from who Jesus wants to be in our lives and from those who are around us. And this is important. I, I want you to hear this. This is very important. When you tolerate familiarity and let it hang around in the natural, it will bleed over into the spiritual. When you tolerate familiarity in the natural, it will bleed over into the spiritual. Why? Because you begin to create a pattern. Almost like a habit. You know, familiarity can rob us of the fullness of God wants, uh, the fullness of what God wants and what He has for us in our marriages, in our jobs, in our friendships, and in our places of worship. You know, in our marriages, we go, familiarity can say, make you feel like, oh, that's just my wife, that's just my husband. You know, I've been around him for so many years and I've gotten so used to him. And we forget that our relationships in our, in our covenants with our, with, our, with our spouses are a gift that God gave us and intended for us to experience, experience him through that relationship. Because we get used to one another. We get familiar with one another. You remember before you got married? How everything was just, oh man, you made sure you didn't do anything that was going to mess up that relationship. Come on. How many of y'all, might have been a long time ago, but hey. (laughs) You made sure that you didn't just blow your wife off when she called or if she wrote you a note or vice versa. You were intentional about that relationship. Why? Because familiarity had not set in yet. The and I, I don't know the statistic on this, and this is an actual. I'm just, I'm just spewing something, so it might not be right. Fact check me. I don't care. <laughs> I, would, I would venture to say that probably one of the biggest causes of divorce in America today is familiarity. Not because you couldn't get along. Not because it was this or this or this. It was because you became too familiar with one another. And you had no grace for each other. In our jobs, which causes us to become unthankful sometimes. And in many cases, our jobs 
become the potter's wheel where God is shaping our character for his purposes. And the, the enemy would absolutely want to der- would love to derail you in your job. You know, it's kind of like I, I, I preached this a few weeks ago or a month ago. I was talking about being happy on the way to where you're going. We've got to understand that everything that's in our life, God uses everything. He wastes nothing. And everything he uses in our lives brings character and integrity. And we, when we try to short, short change that and we try to jump out before we, we've learned what we've needed to learn, we never come into the fullness that he wants us to come into. Okay? In our friendships, boy, this is a big one. In our friendships, we get to know people for years and years and years. And, of course, we love our friends. We laugh with our friends. But then there's, there's this familiarity thing that sets in, and that just becomes, oh, that's, you know, that's just Scott. You know, that's just Scott. It's just, he's just being Scott. Or Scott can look at me, oh, that's just Chris. He's just being Chris. And we lose a little bit with our friendship. Sometimes we lose a little bit of that, that knowing, understanding that the way we want to treat one another is to, to bring the other person to a higher level. Because that's what friendship is about. Nobody wants a friend that sucks. <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> a bad word. No, nobody wants the worst friend ever that comes in and says, you know, you're ugly, you're fat, you know, you can't do anything. You know, no, we don't want that kind of friend in our life. We want people that are going to encourage us and, and exhort us and bring us up to a higher level. Those are the kind of friends we want. If you don't have those kind of friends, go find those kind of friends. You know, it, it happens in our places of worship. Familiarity sets in, and, and we come in on Sunday mornings, and we say, oh, it's just Sunday morning. Oh, it's just worship. Oh, it's just the message. And I'm not saying that because I'm preaching. Oh, it's just, you know, it's, I'm just going to do my duty. I'm going to ease my conscience, and I'm going to leave. And you get absolutely nothing. Your expectation sets you up for failure or success. You will get what you're looking for. And only you can be the one that manages that meter that tells you whether you're moving into familiarity or not. Listen, I was sitting in a tree stand the other day. Boy, big, imagine that. I was sitting in a tree stand hunting. And I I got on social media. I'm just being honest with you. Can I be real with you? I mean, seriously, I'm trying to be real with you because I want you to know I struggle with stuff all the time. So it's, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all struggle with the same stuff. Most of us just are afraid to tell everybody we struggle with it because it'll make us look inferior. Can I tell you, that's not a strength. To be afraid to share your experiences. We need each other to share our experiences with one another to make sure we all know we're not crazy. And that I'm not the only one experiencing this. I'm being serious. I'm, it's not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. It's not a joke. Like, seriously, we need to experience our, what we're going through with people and be real. Because it's in that that we get, we get freedom. So I'm sitting in this tree stand, and I'm going through social media. And there's a couple relationships I have with people that have been strained. Not, like, even in ministry, some ministry people that I've had some relationship. And when, as soon as I saw their picture, I got tweaked so bad all these emotions start flooding in and the familiarity thing jumps all over me and I just start thinking in my head I don't I'm not saying it out loud but I'm like bashing this person in my head am I the only one that does that okay I didn't think so don't say that I know better and you know what I had to do? I mean, literally. I, I literally said to God, I said, God, why? What is in me that's making me do this? I don't want to be like this. I don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to have that response. Please take this away from me. And I'm not perfect. And I wish I would do that more often. 
until we're willing to get real with God and tell him our ugliest and our darkest secrets and the things that we're not happy with, we won't change. Because we're going to hide and we're going to ignore it, hoping that one day it'll go away. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. It's not going to go away. Matter of fact, it's just going to, here's a good old southern saying, it's going to, it's going to bury itself down in you like a tick. And you ain't going to get it off. You can take a match and try to burn that sucker off, but it's, it's so embedded in there that it's going to take surgery to get that head of that tick out of your skin. If you don't deal with it. And that's not to make anybody feel guilt or shame. That's to make you guys understand that you, <laughs> I think Nelson Mandela used to say, he said, you are the commander of your soul. And then what he said, wasn't that Nelson Mandela? You are the captain of your ship. Your tongue is the rudder to your ship. Every breakthrough you need is available. And every one of these, in every one of these environments, why? Because again, God uses everything and he wastes nothing. In every one of these environments we talked about, marriage, friendship, jobs, church, every one of those environments, he's there and he wastes nothing. And there's breakthrough there. If you'll just yield to it and you'll listen to it. And you don't become familiar with it. Again, just like these people in Mark 6, what ended up happening was because of their offense and because they got familiar with Jesus. Oh, that's just Jesus. We've known him since he's a kid. He used to fight with my, my youngest. You know, he used to get in trouble with his dad. His dad's a carpenter. Because they were so familiar with they could not allow the greatness that was on the inside of him to come forth. We've got to realize that when we don't manage that in our own lives, in the natural, it will affect you spiritually. Familiarity does four things, and then we're going to wrap this up. Yep. Familiarity, boy, that's a tough one to say. Familiarity does four things. First thing it does, it denies his deity. In Mark 6, where did he get this power? How does he do these things? This is only Joseph's son. You deny the ability to use others in your life. And and with familiarity, you begin to deny the ability for God to use others in your life. Listen, do not minimize God's power or his wisdom. Because as soon as you start minimizing it and you start putting it into a box, that's minimizing it. Oh, God can only use, he can only do this. Actually, what you're saying is I'm only going to give him permission to do this. And you just put him in a box. Well, I can't get along with people. I don't know how to have relationships with people. I'm just me. That's who I am. I'm always going to be like this. Just lump it or like it. Just accept me. No. That is not what, that's not what Jesus gave you. He broke the box so that you could get outside of those limitations. Am I preaching just to me or somebody else? Come on. Go to a higher level. Don't accept mediocre. Because if you do, and you get to the end of your life, you're going to be mad when you go up into heaven and you see what you could have had. You really are. Next thing it does, it disallows greatness from rising within. He can't be the son of God. This is Jesus. His brothers and sisters are here with us. I'm going to use Scott again. Hey, this is Scott. God, God can't allow it. God can't get it. I know his sisters, and they're crazy. His whole family's crazy. You've said some of that stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have, too. I'm just saying, we're, we, get, we, get, we get used to this stuff, and we begin to minimize what God can do in our lives. <laughs> and it disallows God from being able to do what he wants to do. You know, God, God doesn't work just horizontally. Horizontally, He works vertically too. Yeah, 
Listen, God sees others as those that he can use and put his hands on. He sees you as somebody that he can put his hands on and use. And if you don't believe that, you need to get your identity tweaked. Because that's who you are. You're a son and you're a daughter. That's who he's called you to a higher level. All this bogus church politics stuff shouldn't be a part of Christian life. Should not be a part of the Christian life. What is our job? Is it to shout louder, say amen enough, uh, lay hands on people faster? Do, you know, raise, who can raise more people from the dead? Who did? No. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. When people walk into an environment and they see you loving on each other, without kind of any false pretense or without any kind of conditions, just unadulterated, pure love, who won't want to change? Who won't want to be a part of that? Because everywhere else, there's limitations and there's, there's restrictions and there's all these rules you got to follow to be a part of a group. Number three, familiarity gets offended when the vessel isn't what they think it should be. Man, that guy that comes to church here, he's crazy. God couldn't use him. No way. Well, guess what? God might have been planning to give you a word through that guy that morning. And you just nixed it. Because you got offended of the vessel he chose. Second Corinthians 4, 7. I'm wrapping this up. Second Corinthians 4, 7. It, this is a paraphrase, and this is an extended, extended uh, insight on the scripture. Now, God has put his treasure into earthen vessels, committed the dispensation of his word to weak, frail, common, mortal men. For this end, that the excellency of his power might appear to be of God. And not of man. So the, so the general consensus here is God puts his hand, his glory, his anointing, his ability in earthen vessels. Who are frail, weak, common, and mortal. Why? So that he can display his power here on this earth. Whew. Man, I'm telling you, if we can get a hold of this. It will rock Atlanta in the South. I remember Bill Johnson said 10, 15 years ago at a conference he did, one of the first conferences we put on at Bethel, Atlanta. He said, the vehicle that's going to bring revival to the South is the culture of honor. Why? Because we're just saying the word culture of honor? No, because we're living a culture of honor. Why? Because he lives on the inside of us. Using you and me who are earthen vessels that have, earthen vessels have cracks. They have flaws. They don't, they don't, they leak. Well, then leak all over people. Leak Jesus. Leak love. I see what you're doing, Chris. This is great because you know what it tells me? God can use crackpots. Every single one of us in here are crackpots, man. I'm telling you. You're an earthen vessel. You're a crackpot. All right, next fourth one, last one, and I'm finished. Familiarity blocks the anointing from its full effect. Listen, there are supernatural things we can miss out on when we get familiar with God and with others. He operates so much better outside of our mindsets. So don't allow it to block the anointing that he has for you and the full effect that he wants to put inside of you. 
I, I just I just really felt like I, I had this I actually thought about this word familiarity months ago and I thought how do I put this in how, do I just preach a message on familiarity but when I started seeing the two how the two came together I thought wow you know this is I, I think God you're on to something not me God I'm not smart enough to be on to something all the time but I think we've got to be willing to allow God to just blow every mindset that we've had previously about who we are. We need to relearn who we are as sons and daughters. Everyone, including me, I've, I've been in the, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and this is pretty bold, but in all the denominational circles I've ever been in, and this, Bethel is not a denomination. Bill never wanted Bethel to become a denomination. He said that out of his mouth. I am not building another denomination. But out of all the denominations and all the organizations I've been around in 40 plus years of my life, the Bethel stream has been the best stream for me. Now, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is it evolving? It is. If, 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 when I say that, that sounds new agey. I don't mean it new agey. What I'm saying is, God can't be put in a box. And he, he's always moving, and he's always growing, and he's always doing new things beyond what we can imagine or what we can think. So this is not the final destination, which I'm glad. And I'm not talking about just earth. I'm talking about the final destination, like we've reached the limits of Christianity, and this is all we've got. His mercies and grace are what? New every morning. I don't even know where I'm going with that, but just wake up every morning saying, God, what do you want to show me? Blow my mind. Let me rethink how I've been thinking. Let me reprogram all the garbage that I've allowed into my mind and really get the download of who you are and what you do and what you want to do on this planet. And the kingdom looks like love. Love. Preferring one another. Listen, you can't go wrong there. You just can't, you can't go wrong. Preferring one another. You may feel like you're going to get shortchanged, but in the long run, guess what? God's going to be the one. He's the ultimate one who decides the, the counterbalance on what, what is considered valuable and not valuable. Anyway, I love you guys. I'm going to let Scott close this out. Thank you.